the Ghost Goal Podcast. Liverpool earned the first silverware of the 2023-2024 season, beating Chelsea with a 118th-minute goal from Virgil van Dijk in Sunday's Carabao Cup final. Meanwhile, Manchester United saw their top four hopes hit a snag, losing 2-1 with a 97th-minute winner from Alex Iwobi. And finally, Arsenal and Manchester City closed the gap on Liverpool while they were away winning silverware to just one and two points respectively. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 443. While we do mainly focus on the Premier League, uh, I do think it's appropriate to uh, start with this Carabao Cup final uh, recap. Wait, Alex, I, uh, I have a question. The, the Community Shield is the was the first silverware of the season, right? No. I mean, technically it was, but yeah, it's second It's a glorified preseason friendly. Glorified preseason friendly. I mean, you could so say that, but, War. you know, it's, it's silver. I mean, it is the first Civil War. It's the first proper competition right. that, you know, starts in so the just, summer. I just and wanted to clarify that because February. it is technically the No, first, I mean, you're not clarifying but, uh, shit. This was the first Civil War of the season. And uh, it, yeah, it was, a, it. It, was a, it was a good final. It was fun. It was exciting. Sorry, sorry. For I, I, I need to clarify something. Liverpool's U23s won it, beating Chelsea's uh, first team. All right, in calm the down, calm uh, down. That's not true. I did. I don't like that narrative. I mean, what do you mean? Don't like that narrative? Well, because played, the average age like of most no, of, the average age of Liverpool was twenty five, while the average age of Chelsea the was twenty three. Second half with like players like McConnell and and Dan and all these guys I'd never heard of before, and that, I mean they didn't look out of place. And you know, I, it sucks to admit that as a Chelsea fan because you know we had uh, Liverpool had every excuse to sort of like wilt and not win this cup final, but you know that. They have a manager and uh, certain first-team players like Van Dyke still available that just willed them to victory while, you know, our manager admitted that we were playing for penalties against a bunch of kids and our players stopped playing an extra time and, uh, you know, just waited Your it out. Your players so, are a bunch of kids. Yeah, but not like kids' kids. They're young players. Like Liverpool, they, I those just, kids Did, did you not hear on, what I just said? The average age of Liverpool is 25 while the average age of Chelsea was 23. Yeah, but don't play dumb. I'm talking about Liverpool. Like, yeah, okay, so they brought on a like couple players of players like Dens, because James it was McConnell, extra time and they Bobby needed to bring Clark, on players like that. Jarrell Kwanza, all of these guys came on and didn't look out of place. They, like When they came on, meanwhile, it's the first time all season we've brought on players like Nkunku, Modric, Madweke, Chalaba. Well, yeah, I, I looked at the benches and I thought you had a big advantage as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, Alex. It, it, it's I'm saying bleak. this to criticize Chelsea. I'm not. Try, I'm not trying to. What I said you know, on the last pod though was true, way. wasn't it? Like you guys had no excuse not to win this final. It ended up being true. You had the chances. You had. I mean, Liverpool weren't amazing or anything. It was. It was surprisingly end to end for and open for how for a final. It didn't feel like a final because of how like open the play was and how almost like. I hate to say it, but how low the quality of play was from both teams. Like it was like constantly both teams are giving the ball away. There wasn't like that many good sequences of play. I mean, a lot of the the chances came from mistakes. Just it was not a good final. <laughs> like yeah, you say that uh, no, Liverpool I thought it, won I thought it. it was a plenty entertaining. It was entertaining. Like, there were, sure, there no, were good no, it was chances entertaining. on both sides. Yeah, but it was shit football. 
Like it ended up being yeah, nil nil through full through the entire game. Took extra time. Another header from Van Dyke off a set piece. Literally, like Chelsea's biggest weakness this whole season has been set pieces. And lo and behold, you guys, every set piece looked like you were going to concede. You conceded uh, in a set piece, and it ended up being you know a chalked offside for you know what if a lot of people don't know the rule. Endo Fernand Endo um, was standing in an offside position. And then affected the play by going and blocking off Levi Kowal, who was you know trying to track Virgil Van Dyke, and Virgil Van Dyke ends up getting the goal, so it's offside. You know, I, when I was watching it live, I thought, oh, that guy, whoever that guy number th- that guy who was standing offside affected the play. Like I like immediately thought it was offside, and I think a lot of people don't know the rule that you know if you're in an offside position and you affect the play in any way, that's offside. It's the same with you know when. You're standing in front of the goalkeeper, and you, you're in the line of vision, and you're in an offside. It's offside, you know, even though you didn't touch the ball, or, you know, in this pos- in this place, he, you know, I don't think it was a foul. What he did, it was just small push, but it affected the play. So, I think that's why it's yeah, offside. You're, you're allowed to stand there and you know maintain your space and have an, an opposing player if they run into you, you, you didn't foul them, and that's what Endo did. But Endo was in an offside position, and obviously we're referring to the goal that was chalked off in the first half that Van Dijk uh, thought he'd scored, not the actual winner that came in the 118th minute. Um, but yeah, that one was pretty cut and dry to me. But people were trying to make more of it than what it actually was, and it ended up not really mattering because obviously Chelsea didn't take any one of our well, the three Gallagher chances, chances the Nkunku chance that Gallagher slipped him in. The, the one that really pains me is Cole Palmer's chance in the first half when uh, Sterling was trying to get on the end of something, kind of didn't get full control of it or managed to get his shot off, and it just deflected into Palmer's lap, and he blasted it straight at Kelleher. That one really gets to me because Palmer's been so good this season. A bunch of goals and assists in the league specifically, and he's been like pretty good in the FA Cup and Carabao Cup runs. For him to get a goal in a final, I think would have been like a huge step in like maturation for him uh, in, like so early in his Chelsea career and instead he just sort of joins this legacy of failure that's that we've just like had over like the past I want to say six years we're the, we're the first team in English football history to lose six straight finals at Wembley that's horrific six, Javier. that's including the Carabao Cup it started with the Carabao Cup in 2019 if you remember that one when Kepa refused to come off when Sarri was the manager against Manchester City. Uh, yeah, 2019, lost on penalties to City. 2020 uh, FA Cup, uh, lost 2-1 to Arsenal because uh, that was the, the Aubameyang winner uh, during COVID. Oh, yeah. uh, Arteta's uh, only trophy for Arsenal. Uh, 2021, the 1-0 loss to Leicester when Yuri Tielemans fouled a Chelsea player and then scored a banger. Uh, 2022, lost on penalties to Liverpool. In the Carabao Cup, uh, twenty twenty two lost on penalties to Liverpool in the FA Cup, and now twenty twenty four won the loss to Liverpool in extra time. First English team to lose six straight Wembley finals. Not what you want to see. Not what you want to see. But that's what I mean by just a sort of legacy. Now that like the the last couple of years of the last iteration of Chelsea that was just recently disbanded. This was a chance for you know the new Chelsea that has been disappointing so far to sort of write that and, uh, you know, dismiss the, those kinds of allegations that, you know, com- commentators like 
Gary Neville are making that Chelsea's billion pound bottle jobs. It's like, I can't refute that. Like <laughs> we're absolutely that at this point and pains me to say it. But again, when you had the number of chances that we did in that game on Sunday, and, and frankly, in those two, uh, the Carabao Cup and FA Cup final losses we had to Liverpool two years ago, it was exactly the same. We had exactly tons of chances yeah, in those wild. games as well. Couldn't score and they made us pay. So, hey, I, it almost went completely the way I predicted it. I predicted we'd lose this game on penalties to Liverpool, but Van Dijk managed to score it with score with two minutes left in extra time. But it was very close to how I imagined it going. And uh, yeah, Chelsea let me, well, they didn't let me down from the standpoint that I saw it happening, but still feels like a letdown. Um, well, there's no, there's no time for crying, though, because uh, Chelsea and Liverpool... Well, both have FA Cup games this midweek. Uh, Chelsea have an FA Cup date with Leeds in midweek before going back to the Premier League next weekend. And uh, for any new listeners of the pod, if Chelsea turn around and lose a second game in a row and go out of two cups in a matter of three or four days, and the second of those is Leeds, that very well may lead to uh, Pochettino sacking. Because if there's one thing you can't do at Chelsea, it's uh, it's lose to Leeds. It's uh, never a good formula for success at Chelsea because we hate those scum. Uh, I will say congratulations to uh, to Liverpool. They weren't amazing, but it's performances like that in the Carabao Cup final that do make me think they, they could still win the Premier League, even with all these injuries, because they and Klopp is fully to be credited here. They just they just keep going. They don't they can't you can't tell them when they're down and out. They'll just keep like figuring out ways to win games or get a, a result, whether it's a draw or a win just to keep their hopes alive. So even with the injuries, Javier, I'd still be concerned about this Liverpool team if I were you. But moving on to the Premier League, let's talk about Arsenal. You guys dismantled Newcastle on uh, on Saturday evening. A rare late kickoff on a Saturday, uh, 8 p.m. in England, 3 p.m. here. Went up 2-0 in the first 24 minutes. Ended up going up 4-0 before uh, former Arsenal player Joe Willock got a consolation goal near the end. How impressed were you by this Arsenal performance, and uh, does it make up for the frustrating result last week in uh, in Porto? We haven't had a chance to talk about that one yet. Yeah, no, de- I mean, I was that that result in Porto was definitely a uh, you know little you know stop on the on the hype train that we that we had going, and definitely put things into perspective a little bit. But I think you know you also told me. After the game, you were like, hey, you know, it's only halftime and, you know, we get to go back to the Emirates Stadium for a whole nother game. So, you know, it's it's going to be a different affair there. And, and I'm honestly not I'm honestly very relaxed about the second leg. I think uh, I think we'll I don't think you should be relaxed. I think you should be wary. Well, I think but, I mean, uh, I th- it, I, I, we you, lost you we lost doom and gloom. We lost two one to Lons as well in the group stage. And then we d- we beat them six one different. I know it's it is. completely different. it is. It is completely different. <laughs> But I mean, at home so far in the Champions League, we've been unreal. So we also pipe PSV four nil. I mean, we've been. This is also like the first like perennial Champions League team that you faced yes. this year. But so Champions far League. in the Champions League at home, we've been unbelievable. So I want to see if that uh, Again, if they keep that up. I would, I would just say this: this is the first team that's a proper Champions League team that routinely makes it to this point, and sometimes even to the quarterfinals in Porto. They know how to defend. That's why I'm saying you should be wary. I, I was saying that to basically just say, don't be all, you know, doom and gloom about it yet. Yes, it's frustrating that you guys were so bad in Porto, didn't have a shot on target for the entire game. 
which is mental if you think about it, that this Arsenal team that's routinely scoring four, five, and six goals in the Premier League couldn't register a shot on goal against not even a a title-winning team in, in the Portuguese League. Porto, I think, are well off first place. Sporting and uh, Benfica are fighting it out for the title there. But they have, you know, canny and experienced operators at the back like uh, like Costa and Pepe that, you know, if they manage to get it right in the second leg, it could be a frustrating evening. Like if it gets to the 60th minute and it's nil-nil or Yes, if one, it gets to the 60th minute and we haven't scored, I'll be very worried, Alex. Yeah. Okay. But I think I think you guys. Still do <laughs> I don't it. I'm not think that about, that's gonna happen. I'm not worried about the prediction that we both agreed. Like, I, I tried to like give some serious thought to could Porto upset Arsenal here, but I, it's that second leg at home. They just uh, it's so often. We've seen them like, now. The, they played their card. It's uh, okay. it's gonna it's gonna be a different thing at the Emirates. But yeah, I mean, in this Newcastle, it was this Newcastle game was the same thing. Alex, they shit their way to that one nil win at Saint, at Saint James's Park. You know, not getting that red card by Bruno Guimaraes. We had we had a bone to pick with Newcastle. I said it on the pod last week. I, I didn't even I barely talked about this game. And I just said we need to smash them, and that's exactly what we did. So it, well, it helps it, when they have Loris Karius in goal, who hadn't played a Premier oh, League game that in like definitely two thousand days he or was, something. He was definitely at fault for that first goal. Um, you know, he should have just caught the ball or you know, cleared the ball. I mean, there were so many things that he could have done better than what happened there. But uh, yeah, that own goal for them was, was unfortunate. Um, But I mean, our performance deserved the goal at that point. And we, you know, we've now had, um, I think it's seven halves of football where we scored two or more goals in every half in the Premier League. So this season, no, just right now we're on a run right now where we've every, every single half we've scored two or more goals. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's seven a good or more hats. Yeah, it's really, it's <laughs> that, really, really that will good. Win you games. Yeah, I so can confirm that will win you we, games. We uh, we are we're playing really well in first and in second halves right now, scoring goals in the Premier League, doing well. So I'm glad we're keeping that up. And like I said, I, I put the auto win on until the City game. So uh, I am a little bit worried that that Chelsea, you know, fixture might get rescheduled because of the FA Cup. If Chelsea do end up beating Leeds, then uh, I think the FA Cup is going to be on that weekend. If you have a Premier League game, it'll be rescheduled. So, yeah, I'm just, uh, I don't want now Chelsea to win and uh, for you uh, to, that game to be in sometime in mid-April when the the fixtures are piling up and, uh, you know, it might be a big banana slip later in the season. I'd rather play you guys now and just, you know, get it out of the way. Though, to be fair, if we do play later in the season and Chelsea are still in the FA Cup, then... uh... I think we'd be saving or, you know, rotating so that we have our best of 11 available for the FA Cup games since we're not doing anything in the league. So it it could work a number of different ways, but I, I get your concern for sure. All right, uh, let's move on to the big upset of the weekend in the Premier League. Fulham went to Old Trafford, beat Manchester United 2-1. Goal from Alex Awobi right at the death after uh, Harry Maguire had uh, seemingly equalized and gotten the point, saved the point for Manchester United in the 89th minute. And frankly, even though it was a tight uh, end to the game that saw Fulham end up winning, I don't really think it was much of a contest. Like, yes, United had a couple of chances here and there, but Fulham were borderline dominant in this game in terms of the number of chances created, the team that looked the most like progressive and forward-thinking on the ball. Fulham... 
it was one of the it was probably their most impressive performance of the season so All far. All right, calm down. They beat us and they drew us. But you guys were terrible in that that game at Fulham, and it looked like you there had been sort of like a too many too many games. They in a drew row us when they were down two nil and down to ten men. Yeah, but that game was more of like a defensive masterclass, the one at the Emirates, where you know they sort of went ahead early. Yeah, I would say that went was behind their best and then got a set piece, a corner right at the end from Palinia. Also, they won this game at Old Trafford without Palinia, who's you know by far their their best no, player. No, it was it was very very impressive. But I'll say for Manchester United, they missed Rasmus. Can we not, can we not do the whole Manchester United woe is me thing no, right away? They, can we they, praise Fulham a little yeah, bit? Yeah, but they missed they missed they missed Hoyland in this because. I had no idea Marcus Rashford was on the pitch the entire game. I mean, the dude was yeah. actually did nothing. Invisible. Completely invisible. And they were missing. I mean, Hoyland had scored in six, seven straight games. And for him to suddenly be out injured, I mean, that was a huge blow for them. Huge, huge blow. And it was last minute, too. You know, I think it happened on, like, Friday or something that he, he got the injury in, in practice. So, I mean, it was just... I think that was a big thing for United. I think also losing, they keep they've lost some big players in defense. Apparently, Luke Shaw's now out for the rest of the season. He had just come back. Uh, Lissandro Martinez got injured again after coming back. You know he's out for a few weeks right now. It's again it's you know Varane and Maguire, but you know it. it they they with Lindelof at yeah, left with back. Lindelof at left back. I mean that's 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 not really not ideal. Really not what you want. So big holes right now for Manchester United. And it, and they attacked that wing this that entire time. They attacked Lindelof. I mean, the entire game from the from the start. So, I mean, Marco Silva. He's an experienced Premier League manager. I think he's one of the better mid table. You know, if he's at your club, your your team will mo- most likely be safe. And he's a. I think he's he did his time at teams like Watford early on and and learned in the league and Hull. went down and Hull and you know, didn't do well at some of those teams, but he's now come back and I think he's he's one of the better now Premier League managers that, you know, can play football, knows to set up his team, even when he has big players like Paulinho out. Um, I thought Lukic was amazing. He was everywhere on the pitch. And yeah. He's, Lukic, uh, I don't know then, where they found him, but he's. I know when Paulinho eventually leaves, he's been pushing for a move since last summer. They've got a great well, it ended replacement up working out well. For Fulham, that Paulinho. I mean, obviously, you never want Paulinho to to miss a game like this. But with him out, it was Lukic's first game back since October, I think they said. And you know, he's not like the defensive presence that Paulinho is, but he can he can do a job for you on the ball, keeping possession and playing progressive passes forward. I thought Fulham did a really good job of just sort of taking advantage of what was previously. A strong point in United's midfield in that, you know, Kobe Menu and Casemiro have been so good at breaking up the play and excelling in these high intensity sort of like end to end high paced matches where the ball's being turned over as quickly as, as one team is attacking. They're turning it over and the ball's going back the other way. Those two players in midfield for United have done really well in those situations. And Fulham kind of did a good job of baiting them out, trying to like tempt them out with some of their their passing. And then whoever received the ball in midfield with their back to Mainu and Casemiro could just play a ball immediately back to uh, Calvin Bassi or uh, Tosin Adarabayo in center back or, you know, Castagna at right back. And those players would then play a ball in over the top for any one of Awobi or uh, Pereira or Muniz to run onto. Awobi and Muniz were both very, very good. Yeah, and you know, for most of that game, Iwobi, he was doing everything right except in the final third. He oh god, he had once where he like choice. he like 
he was in 1v1 on goal and he just puts it wide and I was like typical it would Yeah, he tried like, to like side foot it yeah. instead of like oh, slipping in so the news and it just went it went wide left but then you, you could see I mean he didn't really have the the option to pass when it came to the the final goal the winner so you know his head was clear in that and he just buried it bottom left and and you got to give credit to Adama Traore who I'd forgotten was even on Fulham that one slipped past me I guess last summer when it happened but Traore just like beat both Ericsson and Maguire out on the, the right wing, Fulham's right wing, carried it like from midfield into, you know, Manchester United's box basically, and then slipped in Iwobi for the winner. So really strong performance from uh, Fulham. And I'm willing to give a pass to Manchester United because like you said, the injuries and just like as soon as it looks like they've gotten all their key players back from injury, a bunch of them get re-injured or a new injury happens for Hoyland. And it just sort of derails all of this progress they've been making for the last two months, I want to say, where they, they've looked like they're back in it for that top four race. And now they've got a, a very daunting trip to Manchester City I got a, this I got weekend. a statistic for you, Alex. So I was looking there. I saw this thing where a graph where teams that have faced 16 or more shots and how many times they faced that this season. Manchester United have faced 16 or more shots in 14 games so far this season. That's next to Luton and Sheffield as the most in the table. To, for comparison, Arsenal has faced 16 or more shots zero times, Manchester City twice. So for somebody who wants to get top four, if you're facing that many shots, as many as Luton and Sheffield are, then it's going to be really hard to... I, 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 when, I, when I thought about that, I was like, I feel like that, that, that comes down to like their midfield and you know really closing down shots and doesn't feel like they have that enforcer. I mean, my news kind of grown into the team and just started, you know, the last couple months starting to have that role, but Casemiro also coming in and out of the team. I don't know. Uh, it just, it does feel like there's still a lot more pieces that need to come in at Manchester United, especially on the, in the depth, you know, department. So, and big decisions, big decisions need to be made about players like Bruno Fernandez, Marcus Rashford, um, you know, Anthony, players who a lot of money been paid for for these players or a lot has been invested in them. Just sometimes they just they're not producing the goods. Martial's still on that team. I mean, there's a lot of players, a lot of Deadwood, I feel like, that they could move on. And, you know, the, the, the team needs refreshing, re- like refreshing, I think. Well, it was just you know finalized recently that uh, Jim Radcliffe, the, uh, the the former Nice owner, is uh, finalized his takeover. It's not a full takeover, but a partial takeover, um, buying a significant stake in the club uh, from the Glazers, who I think most Manchester United fans are happy to see them take a step back from their ownership after years of mismanagement that originally Sir Alex Ferguson kind of overcame to keep winning titles. And since he's left, it's been more and more apparent to them that, you know, your owner should not be taking money out of your club, uh, which they have been doing. Anytime a new owner comes in, we know this, especially at Chelsea, not always a positive, but uh, in Manchester United's case, change is necessary. And uh, for them to get back to a point where they're like one of the biggest and most threatening clubs in, in, in England and in world football again. So... I'm sure they'll they'll welcome the change. Um, I, it's and I think the I can't remember the exact title, but it has been made pretty clear to everyone that Jim Radcliffe has been brought in, not just for the money, but for you know the, the running the footballing operations of the club. And he's talked about in interviews with like the BBC recently, saying that 
managers, tons of good managers have been at United these la- this last decade. Van Hal, Mourinho, all these guys. Uh, and they haven't get, been given the proper environment to excel. And as a result, neither have the players. So it's up. Jim Radcliffe's basically saying he's going to be trying to instill a new environment and a new way of operating as a football club that sets up the management and players for success. How they go about doing that exactly, we'll see soon enough. But the one thing we can say for certain is that there's going to be changes. I feel like we should mention this uh, Manchester Derby coming up this weekend. I doubt either of us will be uh, giving Manchester United much of a chance after all these injuries and uh, this full performance. Yeah, I mean, if they if they had kept a healthy team and if Hoyland, Hoyland had been healthy, healthy, healthy yeah, I might have given them a chance. And I was I was saying I was excited to see them come into good form, and I was saying, oh, this Fulham game should have been pretty easy. But the way that Fulham played against them, how open Manchester United were. You know, I expect maybe a goal from United, but three or four from City and, and you know, a pretty thorough win because City haven't gotten one of those in a while. I mean, they just had another 1-0 narrow win to Bournemouth, you know, where Liverpool and Arsenal both had easy, you know, 3-0 and 4-1 wins against Bournemouth. City aren't doing that, which is a little bit scary, I think, for uh, for Manchester City. Again, they're, they're not blowing teams. They rotated a lot and they were trying different players like Nunez out in the wing to varying results. And I also think Bournemouth are, you know, a better team than uh, than people are giving them credit for. You know, well, just said I, Liverpool and Arsenal both had like resounding results against Bournemouth away. So, just, yeah, but those were at different points of the season. So, yeah. All right. I mean, I just I just I think that it's uh, it's for City there. I'd be worried that they're not doesn't seem like the engine's roaring yet about this i'll 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 give i'll give you this chelsea got two draws against manchester city this season do you think that we're like like better than what we have been over the the longer course of the season just because of those two draws no like you don't take one result or two results and extrapolate that to like no right i'm taking like all of their results in the last like you know couple of months and it's just i know they've been winning but this is what they do. They, I mean, they have periods like this where maybe Holland isn't scoring as often as he would like. But you know, Phil Foden steps up. He's he's having a career year. He's already he's already equaled his uh, most goals in a season. The, his best tallies have had like in his career before. Already equaled that with that goal he scored against Bournemouth. I think you're right that this uh, this Manchester derby, while it may be a little close uh, at the beginning. Once that initial pressure sets in from Manchester City towards Manchester United, I think they do end up like running away with this and winning it like, I'll, I'll say 3-0, but I feel like 3-0 is being a little too respectful of Manchester United. What do you say about the score predictions for this one? Yeah, I'll say 3-1. 3-1 City. Okay. Uh, another game I wanted to bring up, just because I'm, I'm not done... Uh, not done beating myself up yet uh, regarding Chelsea is uh, Brentford versus Chelsea Saturday 10 a.m. our time 3 p.m. over in England obviously Brentford a team that is struggling uh, and hovering down near the relegation zone they just lost 4-2 to uh, West Ham earlier today they beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge I think back in November I'm going to say uh, they beat us 2-0 there, and that, that game was in the midst of Chelsea playing games against Arsenal and Tottenham and Manchester City and not losing any of those. And then we turned around and lost 2-0 and looked terrible against uh, against Brentford. And they didn't even have Ivan Tony then. So I'm very worried about this one 
uh, I've mentioned the Leeds game on, on Wednesday. Uh, hopefully we win that. But if we lose that and then have to go to Brentford right afterwards, the, the Saturday afterwards, I'm just worried that this thing could snowball and we could be looking at, you know, three awful defeats, like season-ending defeats. Brentford have been really in February. this season, though. I mean, other than that, like, good run they had at the beginning yes. of the season, it feels like without Embuemo, like, even with Tony, they still kind of miss that attacking edge and that player that Tony needs to, to really get going. I'm just saying, you don't need that to beat Chelsea. You can just be good defensively and wait for us to fuck up and, you know, we'll give you a chance. Like, I, I'm saying if yeah, you're I mean, if you're Brentford a have person, been good historically against Chelsea, though, so I'm sure they'll be confident. Yeah. Yeah, and usually we either beat them there, there or we draw them there. No, we have won there. We've won there a couple of times, but uh, recently we've we've drawn them. I think we drew nil nil last season again uh, with them uh, at the Brentford Community Stadium or whatever it's called. But uh, I'm just saying, if if I were a betting man, I would be looking into uh, Brentford to win this one, and possibly Brentford getting a clean sheet as well, like a one nil win for Brentford. I, I don't think is too far off. It's. Uh, it's that bad at Chelsea right now, but we'll see. We sometimes pull out these random performances out of our ass, so you never know. All right, Javier, it's time for the new and improved fantasy kitchen. Fire up the ovens, whip out your spatula. Give us your three courses for this week's fantasy kitchen. What are you serving up this week? All right, so we're doing. I, I promised a little teaser last week. I said we're doing things a little bit differently, so I had some uh, some courses chefed up today um, for your appetizer. Before you go into those. Yeah, go into what the, the breakdown is for, you know, what, what do these courses mean? What's the purpose of the courses? Yeah, you know? so I've got, uh, I'm going to have an appetizer for you that's kind of like, you know, it's something something pretty tasty to, to get it going, but not necessarily the most amazing thing you have to go for, but just something you should be looking at. Um, that's what the appetizer is usually going to be. Then we're going to have the main course. That's going to be the 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 thing that you're going to love, the thing that you got to go for every week. I'm going to be telling you, you got to go for this main course. And this is, this is going to be the, the, the big meal of the day. And then lastly, there's going to be a dessert, something a little bit sweet, something that, you know, is a little bit spicy, maybe something, uh, something a little spicy bit out there for dessert. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but it'll be something kind of, a little bit out there. What kind of spicy desserts do they make it'll, it in Peru? Well, it'd be, it'd be like a spicy dessert cocktail or something, Alex. You know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but yeah, no. So the the we'll, we'll uh we're gonna start with an appetizer here. It's gonna be Luis Diaz, Alex. I think uh, he's on his best run of the season right now. He's now got five straight games where he's returned, um, and he looks to be the one player on Liverpool that can stay fit. Um, you know, hopefully. Nothing tragic happens like had happened earlier in the season to him um, that like took him out of a team for a while. But uh, he looked absolutely unreal in that Luton game. Could have had a hat trick, uh, only ended up getting a goal, but was, you know, just a menace, was a menace against Chelsea the entire time. He really seems to be right now the the main conduit, especially while Salah isn't necessarily 100 percent fit, isn't in the team. Uh, Darwin as well. It really looks like Luis Diaz is the most nailed on there isn't really a backup to him either. Um, he doesn't really come off. Uh, the last five games, he's played 80 or more minutes in all those games. And he's like I said, he's returned in all of them. So look at Luis Diaz. Good appetizer. Now for the main course, guys, you got to bring in Dominic Solanke right now. If you don't have Dominic Solanke in your team, I ha- I don't have him. I'm bringing him in this week. Why? Because he's got Burnley away next. We all know Burnley are shit. They've been leaking goals. 
And then for the double game week, double game week next week, they got Sheffield United at home and Luton at home. So their next three fixtures, they play the bottom three teams and they have a double game week. It, it, it might even be good to bring in some more Bournemouth players, uh, you know, just for that double game week in these next three games. Uh, you know, Marcus Tavernier is pretty good. Uh, Semenyo is pretty good. Uh, you know, there, 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 there's a few players. That, uh, Neto, I'm going to be, you know, playing him in goal. Do you mind if I uh, chime in with one? Alex Scott, the midfielder that they signed from uh, Bristol. Uh, he's been, you know, injured for a good bit of this season and has since been coming on as a sub. But with all those games, including the double game week, Iriel is going to have to to rotate a little bit at some point. And Alex Scott is a very young, uh, exciting attacking midfield player that I'm willing to bet that uh, at some point between now and the end of the season, he's going to pop off with uh, a couple of really big performances that, you know, make, make Bournemouth fans at least look forward to next season even more. All right, and then for dessert, guys, I've got a pick that I picked up last week. Um, yeah, you kept this one quiet, didn't I you? Did, you didn't, I did. Uh, you this didn't one, tell the people about this one. This one was dessert. And, this one you uh, kept for yourself. And uh, this is going to be Kiwior. Jakob Kiwior, guys. He's a 4.3 mil Arsenal defender. He's now started the last four games for us, played 90 minutes, and he's been growing into the team. Um, I have talked about him a little, but uh, I think his... You know, he's added a defensive stability to us that we haven't had all season from that left side. And he's been growing in terms of his passing. He, you know, he got an assist last week, got a goal this week. Um, and just his overall play has just been improving and growing into the team every week. So, you know, lo and behold, the player gets game time and, and consistent starts in, the, in, a, in a good team and he looks good. So... Uh, really happy about him. If you want to really cheap into the team, Arsenal look to be definitely the best team defensively this year. Um, you know, City keep leaking goals, and Liverpool have injuries everywhere. So, you know, I think for Arsenal, you know, we have players like Zinchenko coming back defensively, but you know, I think you're you're going to see Kiwi or stay in the team for a while. So, I would be you know, if you don't have two Arsenal, two of like Raya, Gabriel, Saliba, Kiwi or you know, Ben White, I would bring in, you know, two, two, because our, the Arsenal defenders are pretty cheap. So uh, definitely. But then definitely that brings you that. into a, a whole question of, you know, Arsenal are having some of the best attacking performances in the league these last couple of weeks as well. Like, so I, me personally, I have Saka and Odegaard. Uh, I took out Richarlison for Odegaard. Yeah, it's he hard to, up, it's hard to find. He didn't return in that last game, Arsenal but, you know, he scored a great right goal now, against so. Burnley. Um. Yeah, I think you, you can't really go wrong with either approach, but in fantasy, I feel like you've got to go for, you know, more attacking returns than trying to depend on defensive returns. That's just my my opinion. But uh, I, I will say, next three games at least, Sheffield United away next Monday, uh, like this is the game they have coming up, uh, Brentford at home after that, and then Chelsea at home, potentially. You mentioned that they uh, that may get postponed to a later date if Chelsea progress in the Cup. Uh, but then after that, you guys have City away, Luton at home, which, you know, could be good defensive returns. Uh, Brighton away, difficult. Villa at home, Wolves away, Spurs away. So there's some games that they may not be getting the same, like, clean sheet returns that they, they have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kyrgios, that, that's a great price to get into Arsenal's defense. You said 4.4 million? 4.3. 4.3, yeah. And I'm guessing... 
His price is probably going to go up. I, with, I assure uh, some you, of these he will fixtures. rise to four point five very soon. All right, Javier. Yeah, thanks for that. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for uh, more appetizers, main courses, and desserts coming in Javier's Fantasy Kitchen. These. Uh, next pods going forward it may not be all three courses uh, every week it may just be you know just an appetizer or a main course or maybe just a main course it all depends on what the the fixtures throw our way and uh, what the informed players are but uh yeah we're looking forward to it all right javier unless there's anything else you want to hit on actually you know what i just remembered i forgot to mention it during our recaps but it did just come in today, the news that Everton's 10-point deduction that was uh, given to them earlier this season has since been reduced to six points after they appealed it. And that's put them up into 15th place. Uh, you know, only four more points than before, but it, it looks a lot better. And I'm sure it eases Everton fans and their players' minds that they went from being right down there, like just above the relegation zone, battling it out with Luton and... Uh, Burnley and and some other teams to now they've got a little bit of a buffer and they probably celebrated that, that like like they would celebrate like a cup final or something I mean that that's amazing like a, no they celebrated that like a win you know they got four points uh, like out of nowhere seemingly and uh, you know obviously a win is three points I'm sure they celebrated it like they would just a win you know and and they just had a pretty good performance away at Brighton. Got a little frustrated when their one goal lead. You know what was, I do. Uh, you know what I do want to talk about, Alex. Eliminated. I want to talk about the West Ham performance tonight because West Ham had been in a huge rut recently, been getting spanked, um, but they beat Brentford. They did them. beat Brentford, but the biggest thing, the biggest difference, was Lucas Paqueta was back. He had been hurt and he'd been out for the last month and a half. Coincidentally, when they were on that great run, Paqueta was. He had that game with those four assists. I mean, West Ham looked unreal, and as soon as he got hurt and dropped out of the side, West Ham went on a terrible run. So the fact that he's back, and suddenly Jared Bowen gets a hat trick, and they look good again. I, I they think, needed that, for sure. Yeah, they did, and I would watch for changes like West Ham's form because of someone like Lucas Paqueta coming into the team. There's a reason why Manchester City wanted to pay $80 million for him or whatever in the summer, and, and they didn't let him go. Well, they, they they didn't pay that much for him in the end because he got a bunch of uh, betting charges against him from uh, from FIFA. I don't know if you remember that, but that pretty much put an end to that move. Um, and it's still yet to be decided whether what the punishment is going to be for that. So we'll see. All right, Javier, thanks for jumping on. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, now known as X, you can follow him at JavierRev9. If you want to follow me, Alex, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. Enjoy the FA Cup football this week and the Premier League this weekend. And until next time, see you.